coming in, Victor. Um, is this now your last name, Sarmiento, right? I'm saying that correctly? Yes, yes, you are. All right, good. All right, first try. Didn't even ask. That's what we call professionalism right here. Give us a little bit of your background. You've been in a lot of stuff as I've been, I've been looking at uh, some of your credits and it's amazing the things that you, you have a, uh, you have a, you have a career where more, I think a lot more people have seen you and your work than, than would know. And it's like the, well, I'm, I come out of the music background. So for me, it would be the musicians like the Funk Brothers at Motown. They're the most played and most heard band in all of popular music because they play it on every Motown record, especially the sixties and seventies. And so everyone has heard the Funk Brothers. And some, most people don't even know it, um, but they're incredible at their craft. I think that's similar to some of your career. So Victor, introduce us to Victor Sarmiento and your your career. Drop some names, drop some credits, do all that stuff. Rep for yourself, my friend. And um, and what I, what I do want to talk about and what put you on my radar, one of the first things I heard from you was this long post that you, that you put on one of Laura's Facebook posts about wokeness in, in Hollywood and how that's affected your career. We're going to get to that. But first, let, let's find out a little bit more about the man, the myth, the 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 much-seen Victor Sarmiento. Well, uh, at first, I actually wasn't into acting like a lot of uh, the ones that you see out there who are really passionate about it. They, they kind of grew up with, with it. I never saw myself as an actor. I had a friend in high school who actually acted in the UK and then continued on with his career in uh, high school and throughout. So what happened is uh, summer after graduation, a friend died, uh, killed in a hit and run, uh, likely a drunk driver. And what had happened was that my trajectory towards computer science just went off the rails. I didn't want to pursue it anymore. Um, I actually wanted to take a break from school. Hmm. And a friend, no, the same actor friend, actually uh, needed a ride to a place to to be an actor, uh, to be an extra. You know, the people that you see in the background. Hmm. I got to be there, and I thought, oh, this is pretty neat. I, I want to check this out. Uh, you're you're sitting there most of the time, so it's not really work. Uh, so it's nice and relaxing. You get to eat all the craft services that you wanted. <laughs> uh, so I, I signed up uh, with an extra agency called Cenex Casting. I started to work on um, the teen shows of that time. Uh, Parker Lewis can't lose, but mainly Beverly Hills 90210. I was there for for about a year. And towards the end of the year, I got a chance to be on screen. Now, people have seen me in the background before, but this time I was set up as a, uh, a date in uh, what the, the episode called Spring Fling. And it's where uh, one of the main characters loses her virginity to the other main character. Uh, certainly not Christian at that time. <laughs> uh, so I, I know was this. Beverly Hills, 90210. Okay, this is 90210. And this is down, I mean, it goes without saying, but just so everybody's straight, you're in, you're in Hollywood right now. So, and you're getting extras and now you're on, now you're on a, now you're on part of the show, Beverly Hills, 90210, Spring Fling. This is all coming out of Hollywood, right? Yeah, this is all Hollywood. Uh, Beverly Hills, 90210 was the most popular teen show at the time. Yep. So 
I, I was partnered with Shannon Doherty's stand-in who was given lines and I didn't have a, I guess you would say a date to the, to the spring fling. And so they set me up with her. Uh, and because she got screen time, I got screen time. So what had happened is that the, you got the star treatment essentially. You, you got the sat down and hair and makeup done to look good on screen. Uh, and then at the other part of it was that she was also in the dance contest that was part of the spring fling. And I, and I danced my butt off. <laughs> I got to, I got to uh, be uh, the first runner up uh, to the spring fling uh, dance winners, which was another one of the main characters. Now let's, I, want, I, I want to ask real I want to ask some nerd questions real quick sure. and then we'll continue. So you, you get to be in the dance scene. And I think one thing that I know one question you get a lot is when you're filming those dance scenes, now were you dancing to nothing and somebody keeping a beat or did they have a little boom box? Cause obviously with the, with the audio and, and all the <laughs> work and everything, they can't have all that stuff going on, especially if there's dialogue. So a lot, and a lot of times when you see people clapping, you know, behind in the party, <laughs> Yes. There's nothing going on. It's a quiet room and they're not even really clapping. That's also mm -hmm. added, that's also yeah. added in post. So yeah. what was filming the scene like? Did you have choreography or did they say, hey, go out there and do the African anteater ritual from Can't Buy Me Love or something like that? Yeah. What did what was what was the setup like in terms of the tech and what direction was given to you? Uh, so it was part of it because there were scenes where you had the uh, actors having dialogue and you were still supposed to dance to whatever beat that you could keep up with. Now I was all into hip hop dancing at the time. So I got to do all my hip hop moves, uh, another bad creation. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, those, you know, Bobby Brown, all them. Uh, mm -hmm. so I knew how to keep rhythm from what the band was, was playing once usually they would start off with the band playing and then they stop and they actually had a real live band doing it. Too. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It, it what's funny is that you can actually catch that episode. Um, you know, it's streaming somewhere again yeah. and you can catch it. You could see me dance and then, uh, editing wise, uh, they need some work because then you see me out in the crowd clapping for myself. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best. Uh, that's funny. So, but yeah, from there, I, I, I wanted to check it out. I wanted to see what acting was about. It was, it was a great feeling. Now I do have to say it was more about the adoration than the art, but the more I got into it, the, the more I really wanted to see what, what I can do. You know, I, you know, growing up, especially in a, in a Filipino family, you know, sometimes they, you overact and your parents were saying like, Oh, quit, overacting and it's funny in that okay I, I i guess if i was an actor in that way maybe let's see what i could do as an actor uh, in real life i i got to do one feature uh and in that feature what, what is amazing about that feature is that uh, a few people from that feature it's called law of the fist moved on and are still in the industry today uh, there's one, uh, Jeff Wolf, who has become uh, the president of the Stuntman's Association. Wow. Uh, and the other one is uh, TJ Storm, who went on to doing a lot of motion capture 
for uh, a lot of the big projects that you've seen. He's done motion capture for Colossus on Deadpool. He's uh, done a lot of work on the Marvel films. Uh, most notably, he was Godzilla uh, uh, in the recent movies. Yeah. So it's it's amazing to, to look back and see that where, where people have gone, gone on from there. Uh, I stopped acting, I stopped pursuing acting in around 1998. Uh, debts, debts had piled up. Um, my life wasn't going really anywhere. Uh, and I think by, you know, God's providence, of course, uh, he led me to uh, to a good church where I learned Reformed theology. I started to really get deeper into my faith. Uh, he certainly prepped me for my wife because a few years later, uh, I met her in 2001. 2003, we got married. Immediately have, started having kids. <laughs> uh, now, but what, I didn't, what, led, that, what led to your to you coming to faith in Christ? What Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, go backwards a little bit. This is around like 1989, I think, okay. where a, a friend of mine in high school uh, invited me to his church. Now, I grew up Roman Catholic, but not really a practicing Roman Catholic. He invited me to church and he said, uh, you know, it's really good and all that. And I said, eh, you know, I'm Catholic. And I, I believe. And he said, well, there's a couple of good looking, you know, pretty girls there. I said, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. So I went and um, it was very different. There was there was something about the enthusiasm of the pastor and the people there. Um, there was a lot of love and encouragement. There was a lot of prayer, a lot of singing. And like I said, it, it was it was a contrast to to what I was used to. And yeah. Uh, so I went from Roman Catholic to Assemblies of God. And then for a period, uh, because my parents had moved. Uh, so we, we'd moved and it was difficult to make it to the church. We were just too far. And so for a long period of time, I really was trying to find find a, a church home. Uh, couldn't really settle. I, I couldn't get uh, into it. Because uh, they weren't just, they weren't like what it was in the Assemblies of God. Yeah. Very different. Um, when I had uh, gone to, um, in, in 90, 98, I was invited by the same friend to this other church, which wasn't Assemblies of God. It was a Reformed church. Uh, from there, I really got to understand what it means to have Scripture as the authority over my life. Hmm. Uh, the authority over what I really should believe about God rather than imposing my own philosophical, barely understandable point of view about God. Uh, sure. And even that, my, my other pastor that used to um, tell me that uh, when I was a worship pastor for him and he would say, you know, one of the, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is when you, when you realize that theology should dictate your morality and worldview. Your morality and worldview should not dictate your theology. And that seems to be what you're saying here. Yes, absolutely. And I was introduced to uh, the presuppositional apologetics of Greg Bonson. Uh, and that really opened my eyes to a lot of things. It, it really opened my eyes to like, how am I supposed to surrender uh, all of me if I'm not surrendering my mind to what scripture is saying? And then from there, 
scripture really led me to view things <laughs> in such a way that whereas if I couldn't if I couldn't refute what was being said about Christianity in the negative sense, then then why why am I believing it in the first place? I have this blank part of my understanding of, of Christianity and presuppositional apologetics helped me with that. Reform theology helped me understand where my salvation really comes from. It's it's not generated from me and it's certainly not synergistic. Yeah. It was it was definitely something where it's like God did it all. And from there I've been able to at least in my mind try to surrender everything about myself to them. Now, so this takes you then to meeting your meeting your wife, as you just talked about, and that's kind of where we where we left off here in the conversation. Because you left acting for a while, um, yep. you're you're growing in your faith. You meet your wife. You're married in '03. What month of '03? I'm just curious. I was married in '03 too. The Ides of March. <laughs> the Ides of March. Okay. You're not, you're not my wife and I beat a little bit. We're uh, we're September, so we're coming up on twenty. But uh, congratulations on yours. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, go ahead. We'll pick up from here. You're married and we're, we're 2003. Well, 2003, I guess. Yeah. If you're married and what's, uh, where is your path leading you here? So I've been working at an internet company called buy.com, which was at the time in 98 was second to Amazon. I had been working there for quite a number of years, uh, had, um, was having many children. <laughs> I have six total. Uh, and it was around 2012 when I realized I was going to be passed up for a supervisor's position. I'd been working there for quite a number of time and I thought I would be able to get this supervisor's position. They, they like to advance within the company and, and I was passed up for it. Uh, at I, I was livid at that point. I'm going like, why am I in this job? If I'm not really enjoying it, I don't feel like I'm doing anything in it. Um, and that's when I had a talk with my wife and say, like, I'm going to pursue acting again. And it was there at uh, 2012 where I started back up. How did your wife respond to, hey, honey, I'm, I'm going to go back to, you know, basically rejection all the time and auditions and, and uh, <laughs> because my self-esteem isn't high enough from being passed over at my current work. <laughs> um, she, she, this is the one thing I love about my wife is that she's very supportive and trusting of me. Mm. She understands also that, um, that it's definitely in God's hands if yeah. things happen. And if it don't, if it doesn't, she under, she trusts me to, lead this family in a godly way where I'm not compromising uh, the faith, the family. Um, and so she, she trusted in me. She, she believes that uh, she believed that, the, uh, and still believes that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But she yeah. certainly wants me to try my best to do what I can. Yeah. So she, she was fine with it. Um, she knew I was going to be, uh, she knew it was going to be a rough road because I was working graveyard at the time. I said, well, I'll take my classes during the day when I can. It's not like I was getting a lot of sleep anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I would average about maybe 
a few hours in the morning after getting home and then a few hours before heading off to work. And in between that, I can, I can accomplish whatever I wanted to with uh, acting classes. I, 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 I started pursue acting, uh, I would say, um, a little earlier in 2013, because at that point when I made a decision, I, I needed to research, find classes that was near me. I wasn't in, in, in Hollywood at all. All the great acting classes are in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, I found one that was near work and I was able to go there. Um, so it was great. Uh, I was learning from a uh, father and son team, uh, uh, RJ Adams and Rob Adams at the Actors Workshop were, were great teachers. I, I, the, some may criticize what they have and, 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 and what they teach and how they teach it, but I found it useful for me. Uh, it certainly led me to uh, auditioning in, in many different uh, student films, of course, in the beginning. You got, yeah. and that's, that's all I could get is the student films and, and build up from there. And let, it, let was, me, it was great. Me, I, I, you know, ahead, things have changed so much. Uh, it wasn't like you can go on a website and, and try to find these things, you, these, these uh, breakdowns of, for, for actors to submit for. Usually you, you, you would go through an agent. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a, at the time there was a, um, back in the nineties it was called drama log, but now it's called backstage. Uh, so it's a magazine that had breakdowns uh, for different things. Uh, but by 2012, there's, you had um, actors access, casting mm -hmm. networks for, for LA casting, uh, casting frontier. Uh, great places to submit, you know, self-submit. And, and that's all I did. I, I just, I, I got my headshots done, self-submitted as much as I could, auditioned as often as I could, uh, had to bear the two-hour uh, <laughs> drive into LA to audition for five minutes and then another two and a half hours to either get back home or get to work. Uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was, uh, that's daunting. I mean, and, and you're doing it for a lot of time. I mean, that, it, it really is. It's the same thing as if you were, when you're pounding the pavement, just looking for work, any work, and you're driving here and there. And most of it is, if they say thanks for stopping by, that's a good day. And <laughs> I mean, you know, that I, um, I, on the last, was it the last one on the last lure podcast? I think no, it was on my other podcast. I talked about I did. I was a child actor in some commercials. I was on a couple of national ones, but I used to look. And this was in the early nineties, and so I used to look in the phone book and call TV stations and and ask them, are they auditioning for anything right now? And then I would call. And I didn't have an agent, but I called a lot on my own. And I would call like commercial companies. Like I remember talking to. Uh, one of the supermarkets, I guess I'll, I'll be careful not to say your name. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to or not, but one of the supermarket chains. And here's a 11-year-old uh, kid who got transferred all the way to their like communications and marketing department asking if they had auditions coming to my area anytime soon. I don't know how I got there, but I, <laughs> I say that to, to say this. Now, I didn't do acting classes or anything, and I didn't go much further after I was 12, moved on. But you you got into acting classes first. Clint Eastwood 
is quoted as saying, acting is not that hard. You just stand there and say your lines. Uh, Tom Noonan has also said similar things. At the same time, you have all these acting classes and, and you have and many professional actors. They have their degrees in, in drama and things like that. What do people not know about acting, about the technique, about what you're actually doing on camera and how those things communicate? What are some of the technical aspects of the craft of acting that people don't understand that acting classes and things like that help in instilling in an actor like yourself? Uh, I think it is a little simplistic to say that you're, you're there to just read your lines, especially mm -hmm. if it's a very emotional, emotionally charged scene. Uh, uh, RJ Adams, uh, my first acting teacher, uh, said that acting is reacting. And we have to we have to conjure up a lot of feelings in those in those scenes. It may, it may be a nonchalant scene, so you you are going to be nonchalant. I used to think that acting is is having to bring about this fake emotion to to really just if it's saying that this person's upset. Okay, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be upset just like this. Hmm. But in certain scenes, uh, especially in, in the actor's workshop, if if the person says something in a way where it doesn't cause me to be like that, I could be upset like, what are you talking about? Hmm. This, this, is, this is not what we were talking about. You understand? You see how upset I am? So there's different ways in, in which you portray a certain emotion, but that's going to be dependent on the other person. That's why my acting coach said, acting is reacting. I had to react to the person, not to try to bring about my own emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that can be difficult because people do perceive that you have to uh, bring these emotions and, and be the one to really instigate, uh, instigate it rather than having the other actor do that for you. Yeah. Now there's different schools where, where it's, it, it'll be like that. You, you bring in whatever you can. Uh, but for me, I, I found it a lot easier to having to react to somebody else. I've had uh, auditions where I, I was in tears because uh, the scene uh, was me, uh, me as a father and, and I'm talking to my son who uh, is ready to commit suicide. And I'm trying to plead with him. I'm, I'm, I'm real emotional after, after the, uh, after it was done, you know, yeah, because I'm so focused on, on the reader after it was done, I'm seeing the, um, the student casting directors, uh, in tears hmm. because they really believed my emotion. Yeah. And it's, it, it's something else when you actually have that emotion rather than trying to show my emotion there is in in uh, other things also with acting is that a lot of the times our our faces are pretty neutral uh -huh. our faces are, are, are really neutral when it comes to uh, how we talk and and even in in times of emotional stress uh my wife and i just finally finished uh, better call saul uh, in the last episode and the one thing i like doing uh, when it comes to great shows like Better Call Saul is, is the acting and seeing in Breaking Bad. And I noticed that their face isn't trying to push an emotion. They are pretty neutral 
and they let their words speak and their emotions just surfacing, just, just right below the surface before they actually blow up. Hmm. So it's, and you know, that's just coming from the actor's point. The director may have you do something different. And that's when you start thinking, okay, I need to bring about this emotion because the director wants this. And so these are things that actors are consciously doing, their choices they're making in the given scene in order to portray, you know, things like you're talking about or something like Better Call Saul, well, where they're portraying these emotions simmering and at that slow boil before the explosion. Whereas again, many people would, would think that the, the bigger and broader and, you know, how can I contort my face? Like they think yeah, I, need, I need to be rubber face like Jim Carrey with every emotion. <laughs> and you're saying that's not always the case. I do want to ask you this and then, then we'll get back into some of your career. Cause again, I'm just a nerd. I, I, I do. Nerd <laughs> so the, the, another, another, I don't know if it's oversimplified or not piece of advice is it's all in the eyes. And I have, I have literally looked in the mirror and tried to convey different emotions with my eyes. And I find all I can do is lift my eyebrows up or down or neutral. And I feel like that's not it. What do, do eyes actually do anything or are they a byproduct of what you're talking about? Like if I'm big upset or if I'm subdued upset, my eyes are kind of following what's coming, what's coming from that governing. It, it, uh, there is a lot to say about the eyes and you really can't practice it unless you actually are in control of your emotions. I think, uh, hmm. so I could, you know, I, the one way I, I could put it is like, I can look at my kids in a certain way and they could see that there's an emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. I can look at them in a different way, which, I think it, it, there's there's also a part of the body language in that. When when you see those close-ups, I think you already have a context of the story of what of what's happening, and so that context kind of also feeds into the interpretation of how your eyes okay. play out. So, um, yeah, there is something about the eyes. Uh, if if I'm just staring at you like this, <laughs> am I confused? Yeah, how do I read that? How do I interpret that? Yeah. So, and it's going to be depending on the context of, of the story of, of, of what's happening. So, I, yeah, there's something about the eyes, but I also think that there is a, a story that already is going to help bring that about. That's why my acting coach said, it's like, you don't have to do too much, especially when it comes to uh, film and TV. He says that, yeah, you have to be a little bit more boisterous and, and, and big, uh, for the stage, but TV catches subtleties. Mm-hmm. The TV because it's 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 right there. The audience is right there, right in front of your eyes. Yeah. So you don't have to do much, and then the and the story itself will will help bring that about. It'll bring about the the emotion. It'll give context to the audience to to what you're feeling. 
Now, okay. Now, I do have a couple other nerd questions. I'm going to wait because I want to get back to your story here. Um, you, uh, you're going on auditions for student films. That's that's where the jobs are opening up as you're getting back into acting. When does when does the momentum, the snowball begin to take place and other doors are starting to open? You're starting to find a little more solid footing uh, getting, getting work. So... Uh... I would have to say, like, uh, the first one I got, trying to remember, because it's been so long. <laughs> the first one I got was the student film. I think it was out in Dodge College, so Chapman University. They have their own studio. It's It was pretty impressive. And uh, I, I did a role there, and they loved me. They, they, they liked what I, what I was able to bring. And what was what was good is that now I, ha- I could put something on my resume and yeah. if i can take something from a, a clip from that i can start to build a reel i mm-hmm. did that i started uh, i did a um uh, a reel with my acting coach to add more to show that i had some emotional rage uh and it's it, it continued on the one thing that was great about uh, around that time was that I could submit for so many projects. Yeah. Uh, there, there, it was, well, you know, as we're going to talk about later is that there is a contrast between that time before 2016 mm-hmm. and afterwards. So I was able to submit myself multiple times a day and, you know, it's, it's the numbers game. You, you get out there and you put it out there and you get, people to respond to you you go on audition you nail it and now you have more footage mm-hmm. now you can build your reel uh, i didn't have an agent at the time i was actually uh constantly putting in the work i was doing better in my acting classes i started to understand more what my acting coaches were telling me and yeah it it's a it was a slow snowball for sure mm-hmm. But once things start, started to pick up, um, in, in the student films, especially if you were in uh, doing the ones that were coming out from USC, uh, those were great. They, they actually have a budget uh, for USC student films. Hmm. Uh, I did that. I got more uh, work that way, got more experience. And I have to say, there are those that will say that um, you shouldn't do student films or you shouldn't do them too long. But considering where I was in my career, I, I tried to get as many as I could because it was also an education, not just with acting, but actually understanding the set, um, mm-hmm. understanding where the lighting was, understanding what the director was looking for, understanding the framing of, of, of the scene, trying to figure out what is it that they're trying to symbolize in the background with filmmaking, there, there was a lot that I, I picked up. You know, there, there was uh, one time where I was on a on a student film, uh, and they the t- time of day was supposed to be in the afternoon, and yet inside the inside the same room that they were shooting the scene in, it was showing it was seven o'clock. <laughs> and I had to point it out. You you want some consistency here. You better change that yeah. time. So there was things like that. I, I learned how to pick up on, on things and 
and so th that also helped me uh, try to understand what's happening in 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 the actual productions, the big productions, seeing what the, what they have. Uh, like what Better Call Saul and and Breaking Bad, you know, there there was those uses of of the very wide, far shot, and the, and the extreme close-ups, and you know, I I may not get it all, and I probably have to do some actual uh, going into uh, some books and, and videos to have them explain it to me. But I, I can pick up on some of those things, and it's it's to me it's helped me to become a better actor because then I also understand the context of my of my scene of, of where I'm at and what's happening. Well, you're kind of, you're discussing, you're, you're getting reps, you're getting reps in your craft. And the, you know, so when I started doing broadcasting, I started in play by play and I would do even, I would even do junior high sports and the, the, the people who were pouring into me, some of them were uh, professors cause I went back to school for a broadcasting degree and everything. I'd already had, I, doesn't matter anyway. So they're all saying, you know, do get as much as you can, do all that kind of stuff, take everything you can. But it was kind of the same thing where I'm getting more reps. I'm understanding what's required. Some of the things that you don't, that you wouldn't normally even assume mattered in a, in a broadcast or in your case, in a, uh, in a film, in a production that you you're now getting more acclimated to that. You can understand that going forward and that helps you, especially if you get a job that's more elevated or, or, or will lead to more exposure. Yep. So let's, uh, let's move forward a little bit, not quite to 2016 and some of the time change yet, but um, student films, what are some of the things you started to build in on the more, I don't want to say more professional because you need to be professional at every job. It's, <laughs> I don't want to unnecessarily trigger you with a microaggression. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard job. I have a hard job. All right. <laughs> so I, I don't know what, 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 what were the other jobs, non-student film? I don't, I can't think of a politically correct way to say it. As your career progressed, what did you start to? What were the adventures you started to go on, and jobs you started to get? Um, it, it led me to uh, an indie film, mm -hmm. uh, the Go Nuts films. Uh, John Luxidish uh, was auditioning for this uh, one film feature that he had called Water, and that was I, my biggest indie film at that time, and it was great. I. Oh gosh, I wish I remembered her name. Um, I got to act with a veteran actor in, in a scene. It was supposed to be a, a, a kind of a horror type of film, mm -hmm. and it was it was a bigger production. It, it was certainly um, it, it was it was great because acting with her was was something that I think she was more method. So even even when it was cut, she was treating me like like a deadbeat husband. <laughs> uh, uh, so that it was, it was kind of odd because, uh, you know, bantering, uh, bantering outside of being on camera was, was kind of weird. You know, yeah. I, I like, to, I like to, I like to know the people. I like to know them at their level. I like to know uh, who they are as a person rather than just being an actor. Uh, but it was, it was a little difficult with, with her, but it was, still kind of fun <laughs> it, it was fun i think she didn't take it too far 
uh, so yeah, from there and, and because of that connection, I was able to um, work with John again um, after 2016. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to 2016. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's where I ended up. Um, okay. I had lined up a lot of uh, credits. Uh, I had actually quit my acting class at the end of 2014. I had thought I'd, I'd return back, but my, um, the older acting host, the father of the, of the, um, acting team passed away the following month while he was shooting his own feature. Uh, mm. so at, when that happened, I, I, I decided not to return. Uh, I had, uh, decided to take up some martial arts because I actually wanted to do some kind of, uh, action act, acting. Nice. Um, yeah uh and so i I took up some uh, filipino martial arts and kickboxing by the i think it was by october october 2015 i landed my first manager uh tammy tammy wallace um evans she's uh she's awesome she's 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 quite a character herself I think she should uh, be an actress herself. <laughs> she 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 managed she manages her daughter. So I I, I land my first um, manager, and I thought, okay, now things are starting to pick up. Um, and then Christmas, I ended up having what they call a, a touch of pneumonia, is what the doctor said. Yeah. Was put on prednisone, and afterwards was the horror story of 2016 okay i'm sorry well i mean let's let's go ahead and start to get in there i want to reset just again for some of the viewers i went back to look for it victor i'm sorry i should have screen grabbed it because i wasn't thinking i was going to interview you but um that idea happened later but when i read your post and and you were really talking about the state of Hollywood and now of course we would understand wokeness as a thing and all that kind of stuff but um, this this particular story and what led up to that post it was just so compelling not only what you were talking about but also how your how your faith really guides everything that you do and so it just stood out to me and was was actually kind of inspiring even though it was almost like a little bit of a rant but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it looked like that started to boil uh, in 2016. So let's let's start to peel back uh, those layers a little bit, um, and uh, and what what led to that, and and what you're seeing now too. Okay, so before 2016, uh, certainly getting back into acting, I didn't see it in the 90s, um, probably because I really didn't get anywhere in the 90s. But as I started to do more student films and getting into uh, into the Hollywood area more. Um, kind of meeting different peoples. Of course, Hollywood is, has always had all kinds of people, believers, unbelievers, everybody to a certain degree. Very few believers, though. I, I didn't meet anybody who really had, this, had, had a faith that really worked out um, in, in their life, or at least I didn't see it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I was actually used to it. I was used to uh, people who were, who were gay, lesbian, didn't matter. I, I actually enjoyed their company because they're just people, right? Yeah. Um, you don't get into uh, politics because you knew that that was going to be a, a, big, uh, a big thorn on your side. 
So uh, it, it wasn't like I, I, I looked down at people. It was that, you know, these people are on the same journey as I am when it comes to acting. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to move forward and, and push things through. 2016 came after the after I was off prednisone. Now, I had had eczema since I was 16. I would use topical steroids to keep the eczema down, but that's not a cure. Mm-hmm. By 2016, I ended up having topical steroid withdrawal. And with stop, topical steroid withdrawal, your skin essentially is addicted to the topical steroids. Yeah. Just like the way with heroin, when you're addicted, once you get off cold turkey, you get these withdrawal syndromes that are so devastating. Well, it devastated my skin so much that I was on disability for a whole year. Wow. Off and on, I would be able to come back to work because I thought it was over, but it was literally my skin dying every day. Mm. Uh, it, it would, it would die off. You'd peel off so bad that you'd have this puddle of, of, uh, this pool of um, skin on the floor because you've been scratching and it would grow back. It'd be grow back new and really tight. And then the cycle started all over again. It was, it was horrific. That sounds painful. It, it is. There are people who've had it worse where they had uh, bleeding blisters and, and, and that, but it, it was like having my entire skin on fire Topical steroids, you only put on where the surface is, but because the skin is a complete organism itself, right? It's 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 a complete uh, organ, I should say. Mm-hmm. Everywhere it, it was, everywhere my skin died. And it oh, was know. it was a depressing time. It was it was time enough to where I literally begged God to take me home. Mm-hmm. It was that bad. And thankfully, my wife was oh, always there to comfort me, the children to always cheer me, cheer me up. Um, now, you know, as, as faithful as my wife and I are, we never really prayed together every night until that point. And we've been praying together ever since. And, and so I see that beauty coming out from there. Hmm. Um, I, I knew that with this condition, I couldn't go acting couldn't do any kind of auditions uh who who would who would take me <laughs> and i and i could barely deal with the day um without uh you know having to scratch every hour so i i was devastated also on that point where i i realized it's like okay i guess i'm not meant to get into acting and i'm not really going to be moving forward there and once in a while, I would take a look at the, the breakdowns to see what I was missing out. What it turned out was that uh, as the year progressed, fewer and fewer, I noticed that there's a lot of projects that I actually couldn't be a part of. Um, there was a growing number of, um, of uh, LGBTQ projects coming out from USC, uh, which I had done quite a number and consciously, I, I couldn't do that. Um, so when, you, when you're talking about couldn't be a part of, you're speaking now from from a from a belief, from a conviction perspective that the projects are this. This doesn't align with with what I believe, and 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 then the word of God. I can't in in conscience. I can't in good faith 
now come out and do that. And, and if I'm hearing you correctly, now you're seeing more of these types of projects start to come up. Yeah, it wasn't like there wasn't any, right? but there was enough projects out over there in which I can, I can just choose not to do those. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, as 2016 and, and afterwards, uh, it, was, it was like I, I could barely submit myself. I wow. used to be able to submit four or five uh, uh, breakdowns a day. And before I knew it, it was like it was maybe four or five during the week if I was lucky. And, this is, and again, I'm just, just so that people can understand what is happening, this is not, at this time, this is not a studio saying, Victor Sarmiento, we do not want you to submit uh, directly, but this is the type of content that's starting to be produced is boxing you out just because of the, just because of what it is. Yes. So a lot of, like I said, I, I did a lot of student films and I really enjoyed doing the student films, but I, I, could barely submit myself for the student films because of what they want, what, what the story that they wanted to portray. Um, I, oh gosh, yeah, it was that I started to notice that they were using Latin X for mm-hmm. Latinos. Um, there was a lot of where I, there was no longer anything from my age, actually. That, that was the weirdest one, is that how does this fit in with what's going on? It's like, what, nobody for 40-year-old, for you know, 50-year-old? That's, that's kind of weird. And if it was, it was either black or white, which was like, it wasn't, there, there's sometimes with the breakdowns where they don't uh, put in an ethnicity. But a lot of times, this time now, it was either black or white. And then when you would read a little bit of the caption of what was there, it was it was it was the whole, um, you know, the the contention between blacks and whites. And I'm going, like, OK, so that's because uh, Hollywood being wanting to uh, at least the message that that I get that I see, we want representation, which I realize means sexual identity stuff now. But. I mean, even at that time, that was kind of when, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was 2016, it was close though. I think it was during during Trump anyway, when you have like the Simpsons and Hank Azaria now, he's not gonna voice Apu and everything cause he's not, uh, he's not East Indian or whatever. I mean, okay, fine. But you have all this representation that's supposed to be there and then you're telling me they're only bringing in what black and white, where, where, where's the representation? Yeah, and, and it was difficult to find anything uh, for for you know ethnically ambiguous. It, it, you can find a lot for um, Hispanic because I can fit Hispanic, even though I'm Filipino. I can fit Hispanic, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, as time went on, I'm going like, should I even submit myself for Hispanic since I'm not Hispanic? <laughs> uh, there, there are things those those questions that came up where where I'm like. Okay, uh, I remember when uh, there was a motion capture audition and they were looking for Hispanic people and I was told I should submit. I'm going like, well, I don't know. I'm not Hispanic. (laughs) Uh, And I I didn't want to wade into any of that kind of controversy uh, just because, you know, yeah, maybe my Filipino side might have some Spanish because of Magellan. (laughs) <laughs> but is that enough? 
<laughs> so, well, we don't know what the standards are. You never do. You you only know what the standard is when you violated it. That's the that's the current way. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah, I I saw that that shift in 2016, and of course later in 2016 and afterwards. I actually got back into acting at the end of 2017 when my topical steroid withdrawal was was done for. It was it was my skin was so much better. It was a lot healthier. I wasn't scratching as as much. I had lost quite a bit of weight. <laughs> um, but uh, John John from uh, Go Nuts Films asked me to play. Funny enough, uh, an Hispanic. Uh, for his um, for his uh, concept trailer called Capone's Kid, yeah, and, and yeah, it was it was great to get back into it, um, and from there I moved on. I I was I, I was really happy to go out and and act in whatever I could, mm-hmm. but it was it was still difficult. I still had my manager. My manager still. Um, stayed with me she said like once i'm ready to to get back into it that to let her know uh so she tried to get me some auditions um in the meantime i tried uh getting into motion capture uh tj storm who i mentioned earlier who does the motion capture for godzilla was teaching a class and i got into that class it was it was like a interesting reunion i wasn't really sure if he actually remembered me but i i, I jogged his memory for a bit and motion capture was incredible it, it really is as uh andy circus says pure acting anybody who says that acting in a in a volume or a green screen isn't acting uh doesn't understand the imagination that really has to come about from there uh, it's when, when you talk about motion capture again, and I'll, I'll find some B-roll for this and put it on too, so people can see it. But this <laughs> is where you get in the basically the the the, the wetsuit, you know, so to speak, <laughs> and it's all green or it's all blue or whatever screen they're using, and they put all the balls on you, right? All the video motion capture stuff, and they do it for video games too. That's how they get you know boxing and basketball and all that, and the, the moves to work right in the animation, so yeah. they natural and real they do it in film too that's how that's how Gollum was completely made yeah uh, Andy Serkis but and so you you get into you got into the costumes and put the ping pong balls on and moved around right uh not till later okay uh, they, they didn't want the, that to distract from the actual <laughs> learning uh the intro was to see where what can we do with our imagination and, and how to react with these imaginary circumstances. Um, and then we moved on to heroes and monsters. So playing a hero, I, I had my um, my moment playing Captain America uh, and, and that, that was that was that was fun. Hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, there was two different classes for that one more advanced than the other. Uh, it was in. I think it was called Pure Cinematics, where I got to finally wear the suit. Okay. And I realized I needed to lose weight again. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, 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 it felt good. It felt uh, that, oh, yeah, I could do this. I, I could do this all day. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in the meantime, in between the you know different classes, I was asked to um, 
if I wanted to play a zombie at the entertainment uh, electronics entertainment expo E3. Yeah. And I got to play a zombie. And if you ever check out my Instagram from about 2018, you'll see that I was zombified. And yeah, I saw some zombie pictures. I have them. I didn't get them into this. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to load them into this program. Otherwise, I'd bring them up live, but I will put them in. So as I'm talking, they're going to come up. And yeah, that was one thing I saw. I was like, my goodness. And I have a little squeamish stomach when it comes to that. So I'm like, wow, that's kind of real. And when you were talking about your, um, the uh, the eczema and the withdrawal, I immediately thought of your zombie pictures. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's what I thought of. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so who you are at the Comic Con getting to do uh, getting to do some some zombie work? Sorry, yeah. Continue. <laughs> yeah, did that for three days. Uh, it was three long days having yeah. to get there early in the morning and then leaving later in the afternoon, walking. And I had to stay in character, and, mm. and you had to stay in character. You couldn't do anything. And at one point, I lost my contact. Oh no! Yeah, so at one point, contact fell out. Well, I wanted to stay in character, so I just flopped to the floor. (laughs) Flopped to the floor. I kind of knew where it was, felt around, got it, and then just continued to move up like a zombie and then went to my handler saying, like, my contact fell out. Walked (laughs) all the way upstairs like a zombie. Finally got got behind uh, the doors uh, where the makeup is and <laughs> I did that and apparently um, one of the one of the makeup artist friends saw me do that and she said it was the most epic thing <laughs> and that was the best compliment I could have gotten for that because I thought for sure I was going to lose that contact <laughs> wow. wow that's yeah. funny now, now- I want to ask a little bit because we got a few more minutes here. Uh, the when you post on Facebook with, with uh, I believe it was John Speed, he's one of the lore uh, execs. Your post when I read that through, there were a couple things that I took away from it, and I might be reading it through my own filter and so not interpreting it correctly, which is again why one of the reasons why you're here. Um, but it looked like a couple of things. Number one. There's a frustration now because this, this, I mean, wokeness has, has been so used, but whatever, the wokeness, the corporate pressures to have all these other elements be what Hollywood is or what storytelling is or movie making is, but all these elements are now in it. And there's a frustration because you're, you, you literally don't want me a part of your industry anymore when I, this is what I love to do. And then there's also the other part of, we, we have to, we have to start becoming more proactive in carving some of these opportunities for ourselves and not relying on Hollywood. And so I'd like you just to comment for a little bit on what, what led you to post it because also posting it in public, that's pretty strong. And we know that, you know, any, whatever we post, somebody's going to read later and fire us from something or do whatever. And you're in a profession that requires, you know, people to smile upon you for a moment. And, and the second they don't, it doesn't matter. You could have filmed the whole thing. Ask Eric Stoltz and back to the future. Right. I mean, when, if they, if they're done with you, they're done with you and they'll go ahead and, and, you know, film everything again, just, without you you're in such a precarious occupation 
that something like that brings with it its own risk to your career and to the well-being of your family. So give us a little bit of insight behind what you see as the industry now, maybe some of the frustration that brought that brought that post to bear and also what you see going forward. And then we're gonna, we'll wrap up with a, a little bit of what you're doing uh, with Lure and Lure.tv. So at the time uh, after 2016, I didn't know anything about wokeness. I, I was actually pretty politically ignorant and but I it wasn't like I didn't sense what was going on. I had white friends vilified for just being white. Uh, and these are friends that I've known since since I was uh, in high school. So uh, I was I was miffed by that by that. Now, I, I used to be out near in Hollywood, uh, but around 2020, when the pandemic hit, um, Long story short, my family and I ended up moving out here to North Idaho. And I do have to say by God's providence that I would not have known about lore if we weren't thrown about here. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 end up, I end up going to a church where Jason Farley, uh, the CCO yep. of Lord, uh, is our elder. Okay. And when I, I, I when I talked about how I wasn't uh, how I was a, an actor, but now it looks like those opportunities are gone again. Uh, I was pointed to Jason. We got to talking, and the more I look back, the more I realize what this wokeness is. Um, I started to get back into um, learning what's happening with the church. Uh, you know, I may have been going to church, but I wasn't knowing what was happening. I didn't know what was happening in the in the PCA. I didn't know what was happening in the SBC. Mm-hmm. And the more I started to learn about what was happening there and the infiltration of ideologies that are unbiblical, I started to put piece things together in retrospect of what was happening in Hollywood. In uh, the last three years, especially with uh, Marvel and, and the push for a very strange ideolog- ideological agenda, it's, it, it, just, it just blows my mind that, wow, I didn't see this before that happened even in, uh, before 2020, or at least I couldn't label it. Mm-hmm. Now, now I can, and I see that um, we can't, I, I couldn't really go back to Hollywood. I first it was because of, you know, if, if, if I wanted to be on a SAG production that was uh, pretty prominent, I, I would have to mask. Uh, I would have to take a test. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think those were, you, you, I don't, I didn't even think those worked at all. Mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, and then when they said that you had to take the jab, I said, nah, forget it. That's yeah. it. Um, that 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 solidified it for me and then you know most of the stuff that they had in hollywood was had that agenda that was just unbiblical mm-hmm. so i actually quit sag i used to be in the union and now i'm not <laughs> i see lore as that one thing that can really be parallel to it and really the power uh that's going to come of course is from god for that to happen but god works through his people and so the people have to respond. If if they want something that's not Hollywood, that that's not um, that that isn't pushing an agenda that uh, hates them, mm-hmm. then I think they really should 
really look into lore and supporting that. Uh, I, I trust I trust Jason's judgment. Uh, he's actually taught me a lot about uh, when I listen to his podcast with Chalk Knox. Uh, it, it's it's amazing how how much storytelling is being told and we don't realize it. Sure. So I, I I trust in his judgment about the stories that they want to tell. Um, it, it's it's great because, like I said, if it wasn't for me being thrown out here to, to North Idaho, I, I, I Laura wouldn't have been on my radar. I, I would never have done it. And my kids are the biggest fans. They they make things for Laura. I don't know if you saw the one uh, the Twas the Night Before Lutes Day. They mm-hmm. made that one. They made that one. Um, and they pray for lore every day. So do I. And uh, I really do believe that this this can be this can be the thing that rivals Hollywood. The free market is so wide open that uh, to me, I don't think the strikes are going to be all that effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it does, I think there's going to be such a compromise because people are out of work. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's not going to be as effective because it's it's no longer a uh, it, it's no longer in its bubble. After after YouTube coming out and all these other um, ways of promoting your art, I, I, there was one time there was an actress who was had this great opportunity, but acting coach was saying, "Well, it's not Hollywood," and I mm-hmm. asked her, "Well, what's more important, acting or Hollywood?" And then she went on to pursue what was not Hollywood, and she became very successful because of it. And I think in that way, as as Christians in the industry, I think if they could just really realize that it's not Hollywood, it's the acting that they should be pursuing, and they should pursue it in a different avenue that would glorify God, and it would not pierce their conscience. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what you've got coming up for Lore. You are in, uh, I know there's at least a pilot is on your IMDb for the PKs. Now, in Christian circles and church circles, for those who may not know, PK is short for Pastor's Kid. And Pastor's Kid is a euphemism for clinically insane. So we're going to... <laughs> And I can say that because I have pastored for many years in planted churches. I have five children. All of us are insane. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not being disparaging at all. I'm telling you the truth. We are certifiable. And you are making a show about that certifiableness. Uh, tell us a little bit about the PKs, how you got involved with the project, and why you're excited about it. So um, the PKs is about a black Presbyterian pastor who is the son of a white Baptist pastor who marries a Latina and has both white and black kids and uh, they have adopted white and black kids and the youngest ones, one is white, one is black, and they believe they're twins because they're born on the same day. (laughs) And uh, I got to be involved in it because this is uh, Jason's project from his, uh, I think it's Jovial Productions uh, so he he wrote it, um, and he asked me to audition uh, during a table read in front of David Shannon. As hmm. Some people know him as Chuck Knox, and I got to uh, audition there, and I was uh, I was cast as Kyle, um, and Kyle is actually um, based on someone that Jason used to 
when he was a pastor, he used to have to bail him out from from jail because he was like publicly drunk or something. So, uh, yeah, it's it's real interesting. Uh, I do have to say if it now we're not part of the union. This is this is a non-union project. Yeah. But they had union level production quality. Uh, they they really took care of their actors. They really took care of the wardrobe. They took really took care of even the extras. Uh, the meals were absolutely great. Plenty of snacks. So craft services. I'm gonna say. <laughs> kudos to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think it's it's this is going to be one of those things where it's going to. Um, really push the envelope. I think. I think what like what Laura says is like it's going to uh, it's going to poke fun at some of the things that happen in church, uh-huh. uh, and you know I, I'm really excited about that that one. I I did get to audition for um, uh, one the the western that they have uh, for funding uh, Black Rose Ballad, yeah, and I I. And from Jason, from from talk to him about it, he he says like it's the most incredible western that he's ever ever read, and so I, I really um, pushed myself to get auditions for that. I didn't get a role, but I, I do have now a relationship with uh, Joel Burris, the uh, the writer director for that, and I I'm, I'm excited for that one too, even though I'm not in it. Yeah, but, yeah, the PKs uh, should be pretty funny. I already know the entire pilot episode <laughs> and that uh, for those of you uh watching or listening to this depending on where you're consuming the podcast it uh the pks will be in a, in a future wave of uh lure releases so that is forthcoming we haven't advertised it yet so this is a little sneak peek of uh, of, of what's going on all right so victor i've kept you probably far too long and uh through the- <laughs> That's I, can't right. afford, I can't afford the union wage either but <laughs> Uh, I do want to close with some with some with a couple other nerd questions here. Now, I have been, I, I, when I toured with my band, I started off in music. That's how I started in in entertainment world, and toured for many years. And we would go through uh, Hollywood. And one time we recorded, I want to say it was our third album in North Hollywood, and it was at a really famous musician's personal home studio. It was really cool. And every opportunity we went, our producer. It was, he owned a, an entertainment company and he was the music supervisor for the movie, That Thing You Do, back in 96. It came out, okay. Tom Hanks, yeah, which yeah. for a musician, that was just a phenomenal film. But anyway, and we would always bug him, like, when are we going to meet Tom Hanks? Because he was, he was the A&R guy for Playtone Records and we were trying to get there. And every time we would come to the studio, we'd say, hey, is Tom coming tonight? Did he get, is he going to ever answer my calls? By the way, he still doesn't answer my phone calls. But anyway, <laughs> um, part of that's the restraining order. But <laughs> so anyway, what we would do to entertain ourselves in Hollywood is we every time we would go out, we'd go out to eat or we'd go grocery shopping, because we were there for a period of weeks to record this album, we would always play Spot the Celebrity. And so what, I, what I'm curious about, you spent there, you were in the work, I'd like to know some of the cool celebrities that you met. And I'll tell you, and just, it doesn't have to be people you work with, just people you might have passed on the road. And I'll give you a couple just so that you know kind of what, establish the context, all right? So we were shopping for clothes for our photo shoot for the album. We went to an Urban Outfitters. There was a short man with a hood, a hoodie sweatshirt on. 
I was coming out of the dressing room. My bandmate was coming from across. We were getting ready to pay. He was at the cash register. He looked up. We recognize Howie Mandel. He was, of course, all covered up, you know, because he didn't want to cause a thing. Yeah. Our eyes met. We looked him in the eye and gave him the look. You're talking about acting with your eyes. With our eyes, we said, are you Howie Mandel? And with his eyes, he said, yes, and shut up. And, <laughs> and so, we, but, he, but, he, but, he, but it was one of those kind of nods like, yeah, yeah, it's me. Please don't say anything. Please, please don't say anything. We didn't. We had his request. So that's how he Mandel. Number two, we went shopping. It was a, a market called Ray's Market. Have you ever been to Ray's Market? Anyway, it was a Ray's and, or maybe it was a Frank's. I don't know. It was one of those things. I'll tell you about those. We saw, do you remember the movie, The Big Green? It was a kid's soccer movie back in the 90s. And there's a kid with freckles and he's been in a lot of stuff. And he played the catcher in that. And we saw the redheaded, no, the goalie rather. What the heck am I talking about? Soccer. Um, the, we played the goalie. And so we met the redheaded goalie from the Big Green. By an, he drives an Acura or he did at the time. And just in case people are wondering. And then the coup d'etat, the pièce de résistance, we were at Jerry's Famous Deli. Have you eaten there? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Jerry's Famous Deli. We saw and this, You know what? Small world. This is a Beverly Hills 90210 connection. We were, <laughs> we were in line to pay for our food, which, by the way, most expensive pancakes I've ever eaten are at Jerry's Famous Deli. I'm still paying them off, actually. And <laughs> we, inflation's a killer. So... We were in line. We, the man in front of us was, was paying, and he was having a conversation with the cashier. We and he, blonde, tight, curly hair, white guy. And as he turned his head, we recognized the profile of one uh, Steve. What's his name? He played Steve Ian Ziering uh, from Beverly Hills 90210. Right. Played Steve. yeah, yeah. Blonde. So, Sharknado himself. Sharknado, <laughs> yes. I know. Master thespian. And so we saw him paying for his breakfast, and he didn't pick up our tab, unfortunately. But uh, we got to meet him there as well. And then on the way back, I did meet Jimmy Walker Dynamite in the airport. So what uh, – and he's really tall. What, uh, what, are, what are some of those for you? Just kind of a fun little question as we wrap up here. Whew. God. Uh, there's, there's a lot. Um mm -hmm. If I have to say that the biggest ones is the fact that um, my cousin's married to him is Tim Story. What? He, uh, yes, he 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 direct like uh, Ride Along and Barbershop. Yeah, um, and because I've been to his parties, I've seen uh, like Nia Long and what's uh, uh, Jessica Alba. So. Um, okay. But otherwise, you know, just being around uh, that area one time in Long Beach uh, at a claim jumpers saw Kobe Bryant. Uh, <laughs> wow! So that that was that was pretty cool. We didn't bother him, but uh, other people decided to do that. Uh, one of my big uh, my first acting uh, gig with a, an actual uh, celebrity was um, Mark Ralston, and the only yeah. way you. If you know him, his one way that I tell people: if you remember Shawshank Redemption and you remember the sisters, he was the leader of the sisters. He the He's also one of the FBI agents in Rush Hour, the first Rush Hour, G fourteen classified. Oh yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, uh, I ran into Kirstie Alley before. Oh, She's that's a tall cool. woman. She was a tall yeah. woman. Um, 
Uh, what can I say? Uh, the, la the, the last big thing that I did in Hollywood before flung out here to North Idaho, I, I, I worked on a, a, a faith-based film, uh, not film, a TV series, which hasn't aired yet, uh, with Roma Downey and Ted McGinley. So oh. I, I got to, to meet them, uh, very nice people. How's, how's Ted McGinley? And here's why I ask. Because I've, uh, much to my wife's chagrin, she's nice. My wife is wonderful. I'm married be way better than out of my league. Yeah. And that's for real. I know but, too. She, but my oldest son is 16. And uh, last year, I introduced him to Married with Children, which was, as a, <laughs> as a kid growing up, Al Bundy was a hero. And, uh, and it's, it's strange. Now, I don't relate to him in every way, but... It, how you sometimes just get dumped on by life. He is right. a, an avatar. Right. And um, so I've introduced Mary with children and my wife hates that show. But, but of course, Ted McGinley from season five on Jefferson Darcy. And mm -hmm. he's always fascinated because he was also on happy days, love boat. And he love makes fun of stuff. Yeah. It's also been one of the best episodes of psych, which was uh, planted an extra on psych and anybody on psych is cool. So anyway, just uh, my own nerd question. Unprofessional. This is unprofessional journalism, friend, but I don't even care. So tell me a little bit about Ted McGinley that you can. I know you're probably not having dinner with him every day, but. Um, because it was the, like the biggest thing that I had done, it was a co-star. Uh, so I'm mm -hmm. billed as a co-star. Um, I was nervous. Yeah. And, uh, and he was, he was straightforward with me. All right, come on, relax, you know? Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yes, that's right. Okay. Let's do this. That's so cool. he's very straightforward. Um, he hasn't aged a bit, you know, hair coloring, makeup, that does all that, but, uh, he was a really cool guy. Uh, but he did keep to himself. Uh, he was, uh, very professional, uh, huh. uh, on the set. So, um, yeah, I couldn't say, say more than that because once, once he did the scene, he moved on to, to his, uh, wagon was and. And that was that's it. it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. All right. Uh, we'll uh, we'll land the plane here. Thank you again for for the time and for uh, indulging in uh, some straight up uh, um, Comic Con <clears throat> fanboy type things. Um, uh, what would you have? I like to get from from people that work in the industry because others that watch this, some of them are people trying to break in or are trying to build their careers. For actors especially, there's an actor strike right now, so it's really tough to get work. But for actors starting out, they're looking for a way to, to break in or how to do it. Maybe they and maybe and maybe there are ones where they don't want to do in woke Hollywood. They're trying to carve their own way or what have you. What's what's some advice that you give that that would be applicational for actors trying to build their career and get and get steady work? Uh, you gotta be persistent. You have to be persistent and you have to be humble. Mm. Uh, you cannot take too much. Uh, you, you can't take the rejections personally. If, if you do start to take them personally, it will eat you alive. Mm. But, um, but persistence, that's, that's all I did was just being persistent in, in submitting. If there's nothing out there for you, then the avenue is to make your own path. And this is actually coming not just from me, but from uh, casting directors, uh, acting coaches. They're saying like, create your own content. You, yeah. the, the, the avenue for that is, is immense. 
the barrier to entry is now low in which you can have very high uh, production quality for whatever it is that you tape. So again, is it Hollywood or is it acting that you want? Hollywood can certainly give you the money, but considering that there's 160,000 people in SAG and maybe less than 5% make 5,000 a year. Mm. So there's, I would say also build a network. If you build a network with other, um, other actors, uh, people who are, um, uh, graduating or, or still even in, 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 um, uh, filmmaking school, you, you you want to start to build your network. You, you've seen people like Christopher Nolan use the same people over and over again because that's his network. It's yeah. the same thing that I saw with um, Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. He, you see the same people over and over. So you, you, w- when you do that, it, it makes it a lot more fun, actually. Uh, I have to say, when it came to the motion capture um classes i built i built the best network there with with the people there i i love them all and i would love to use them in my you know if i ever come up with a um a story and something to film i would love to use all of them Hmm. very talented and to me it didn't matter if they were um you know if they were christian or not or you know if they they really are fully supportive of their whole lgbtq i know their talent and And, you know, we're not on bad terms. Well, maybe after this podcast, they might, but, (laughs) but uh, yeah. So uh, all those things, humility, network, uh, persistence and and don't take it too personally. All right. Go home question, Victor. I always like to ask, you know, what kind of, what, what message people want to leave behind. Everybody wants to live a life of significance somehow. Um, As a believer, as a husband, as a father, I'm going to ask it to you this way. What do you hope? Not, this is not a eulogy question. Like, what do you hope your kids like about you after you're gone? Well, I I hope, I hope they like credit card debt. Um, But no, what do you hope your kids see right now from your work that, reflects you know your faith your 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 belief in christ and also your commitment to your craft and and what you do what what do you hope that they're seeing and learning from you right now i hope they see that so in a filipino family is just like other asian families where it's academics is is the highest thing uh I'm, I hope they see that, that if it really is something in them that, that makes them an artist, then I want them to pursue that. Mm-hmm. They, they, they should pursue wherever their talents are, are, are growing, where they see that they enjoy this and that they do it for, for God, that it's, it's not, it shouldn't be all for themselves. Uh, we are stewards of everything that we have whether it's material or immaterial. So I want them to be able to glorify God with, uh, with all that they have and certainly not to be pigeonholed. Uh, for example, my daughter, uh, she wants to be a writer and I fully support her with that. And my, my, my youngest kids, they want to be like YouTubers and I fully support them with that. So 
I'm not going to limit them to whatever whatever ideals that I, I may have had. You know, it used to be that I thought academics was it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's there's more to life than that, especially if God has gifted you in a certain way, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I want them to see. And you know, they fully embrace it. And, you know, even as young as my youngest twins, they're ten years old. They they fully embrace it. Good Storm Yantel, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to have you back on because the PKs is coming out, uh, well, hopefully soon, but that wave of promotion, if you will, will begin. So I know we'll see you again, but thank you for this, man. Thank you for the time and for sharing your life story. No problem. Thank you for having me.